Welcome to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I'm your host, Javi. And uh, this, we decided to basically release this as... So it started, us, it started off with us just reviewing The Stepford Wives as the movie this week. And we got into a couple different like moments where we kept comparing the movie to, to Get Out because uh, we mentioned that Jordan Peele considers The Stepford Wives to be a heavy influence on his movie. And uh, we realized while watching Stepford Wives, you know what movie we really want to talk about? Get Out. <laughs> We're like, Get Out is just a better version of the Stepford Wives. So here we are. <laughs> yeah. So this is the 2017 movie directed by Jordan Peele. This was the first movie that he directed. And now, you know, he's very quickly emerged as uh, one of the top horror auteurs in cinema. Uh, to the point where, you know, his second movie, Us, was one of the movies that we reviewed in the early days of the podcast. And his the movie that he's producing, which is direct going to be directed by Nia DaCosta, the Candyman, uh, has continued getting pushed back because they want to see it in theaters. But uh, I'm very much looking forward to that movie as well. Um, I feel like we talked a lot about Jordan Peele, like in terms of our feelings of, you know, the fact that we think he's a great filmmaker, both on Candyman and also when we did us. So I won't I won't talk too much about the what we think of his career. But what I do kind of want to get across while we're reviewing this movie is I have to admit that this movie, along with It Follows, I, maybe I would include The Witch in there as well. Uh, probably Hereditary. Um, I think those movies are easily those are the movies in a class that elevated horror films, right? Like, I mean, like, I know, I know that the term elevated horror, like people either like it or hate it. And some horror fans like don't like it at all because, you know, it, what it implies is that horror movies are something that are lower than actual cinema. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, th these movies did end up, you know, uh, more, more than previous decades take some of the stuff uh, that is happening in the world and present it to us using horror films. And uh, much like when we did the, our review of Rosemary's Baby, uh, some of the discussion that we had when we did Stepford Wives, um, I feel like this movie is, we're going to have some recurring themes in this movie from those other two movies that we did. And that's just, you know, this much like Rosemary's Baby, uh, thankfully, Jordan Peele's a director who doesn't have the questionable history <laughs> that, that Rowan Polanski has. So, uh, you know, we can, we can give him credit for this wonderful movie that he put together without having to put an asterisk over the kind of person he is in real life. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> it feels nice to like finally talk about a director and, or to talk about a director who I'm like super happy about. And then it's like, and then find out they're not total pieces of shit in real life. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it, you know, I want to talk real quick about how you mentioned about elevated horror and like kind of my thoughts on that real quick. Um, I love horror fans. I love horror movies. Horror is probably one of my favorite genres. Like I also like I'm I'd like to be one of those guys that elevated horror is a stupid nerd term. But let's be real, like <laughs> a lot of horror movies are schlock. A lot of movies like are just 
are just 90 minute runs of just like dismemberment and blood and guts and while those are fun like the thing about horror that i like is is a lot like comedy there is something at the table for everyone you just got to find it and it's like for some people they love those 80s like schlocky films there are some people that love slashers there are some people that love uh like those more psychological thrillers like the ones we mentioned earlier so it's one of those things where we're the, the beautiful thing about horror is you're always going to find something that um there, there's always there, there's going to be a seat at the table for you but i think like you said those movies should be uh called out, not called out maybe called out is a really <laughs> like the bad way of putting it but those movies should be commemorated in a way that they brought the genre back from just being known as a blood and guts uh genre and made it interesting and made it and they you know they showed what you can do the different types of stories you can tell using this genre and definitely i you know get out is one of those and can't wait to get in on it well yeah because i mean just just in general you know discussion that we had on stepford wives stepford wives that concept the concept of the fact that men you know secretly hate their wives want to kill their wives and want to create subservient robots that do nothing but Such serve them boomer Such there's boomer a lot of in this movie <laughs> well the, the, the thing is like a, a concept like that is such a strong concept that you could really make a movie that has something to say and i think we talked about it when we did the movie on our last episode that it's just the director wasn't good enough so a movie like that may be a movie with a good concept, but it may not be elevated horror because the director isn't good enough, right? And I think that's that's the key to me. You know, I think what what creates an elevated horror movie is the filmmaker that's behind it. You know, like one of the things I loved about It Follows was the fact that the director, like, very clearly made a lot of allusions to the work of John Carpenter without having to like smack you in the face with it. Um, the what the movie had to say isn't so simple, you know, it's like it's not condemning teenagers for having sex or praising them for being, you know, for being sex positive and stuff like that. It's just it, it just kind of allowing characters to be. You know, it, it just allows the movie to, to tell its own story without having it, to force things into your face. It's very complex and it leaves a lot up to the, a lot up to the, to, I was about to say the reader, to the audience <laughs> to kind of like draw their own conclusions and their own thing. Specifically, it follows, you know, like I feel, I don't know, I feel Get Out specifically is one of those movies that's a great conversation starter, just like, which is pretty much what Jordan Peele really intended for this film. <laughs> Well, that and then the fact that let's be clear, this is a movie that is, this is a movie that is satiating the appetite for a subsection of horror fans that have never been served before, right? Like for for example, obviously we are Hispanic, right? But horror has served us pretty well. There's a lot of the Spanish horror movies. There's the stuff of Guillermo del Toro, which he is a Mexican filmmaker, like. There, there is prestige already in like these kinds of, you know, bigger movies that take place in our communities as well. Like, but I think when we talked about last year, uh, we did that paranormal activity, the marked ones. I think we identified with that movie so much because those characters, you know, 
they're Hispanic, but they're also living in the U.S. They're dealing with all these first generation America problems with the backdrop of a horror movie behind them. <clears throat> There's a there, you can identify with it in a different way that you won't even with those really, really great, fantastic Spanish and Mexican and, and uh, South American or like, you know, all these different horror films that come from different sections of the world. Um, and also just the time that this movie is coming out at, you know, like uh, Jordan Peele wrote this movie really mostly during the Obama years when we there was the buzzword that was floating through the zeitgeist of the fact that we were living in a post-racial America. Post-racial right? America. <laughs> and this movie came out in 2017. It was the first year of the Trump presidency. And now we are like in the first year out of the Trump presidency all these years later. So I appreciate us coming to this movie just in the time that we are because just in the time since this movie came out, like, you know, this movie is more maybe more important than, than it would have been if it came out you know when obama was still president <laughs> have you seen the alternate ending yet i have oh i can't wait to talk about that all right let's get started baby <laughs> all right let's go take it away unless right. you want me well, to do it. no I got no problem. <laughs> so the movie opens up on an awesome scene maybe the scariest scene of the movie right it is uh lakeith stanfield who plays a character by the name of give me one second. andre hayworth Yes, Andre Hayworth, and he is walking through a suburb that is not unlike the suburbs of Haddonfield from Halloween. Like, this neighborhood screams Halloween to me. And I think it's really funny because as someone who has, did not grow up in a suburb, like, you know, neither one of us really grew up in suburbs. So the neighbor, to me, the neighborhood in Haddonfield, it's not the neighborhood I grew up in. Even mm -hmm. So, like because i didn't grow up there it's inherently creepy to me <laughs> mm -hmm. and it's even more creepy to this character because you know he's very clearly from the city he's not and you'll find out that you'll find that out later he's from the city he's not from the suburbs he's a black person in the suburbs uh there could be police that you know are patrolling these neighborhoods or he could have just any kind of bizarre interaction that that just you know it we know what happens right and and he says it without having to say it he's mm -hmm. walking down this neighborhood and there is a white car that is driving up beside him no not saying anything at all the car mm -hmm. just pulls up the headlights are on and he kind of stares at the driver nods at the driver kind of you know hoping that he goes on about his way has no idea what that driver is there for and next thing you know <laughs> he's so he's calling a girl he's obviously going to meet a girl in this neighborhood right mm -hmm. um he basically just says all right well fuck this so, you know like it, it got creepy enough that he was being followed by this white car that he's just like i am not gonna do that <laughs> not today not today turns around yeah, not today. <laughs> and yeah. um and as he's like walking away you hear the music coming from the car which i guess is this like old run rabbit run yeah which is creepy like, creepy ass song well yeah it's super creepy because it literally sounds like something that would be in like a fucking one of those like something that you would picture in a minstrel show right mm -hmm. and uh so if the music isn't creepy enough uh you have the character you have a like unknown character that is like gotten out of the car 
because Andre turns around and sees that the car door is wide open. He's frightened. Next thing you know, like a, a guy in like a fucking knight's helmet like pops up right next to him. So weird. It's like strangles him and throws him into the car. And then you get the opening credits. Um, I think we talked about it when we did us, but like the music that Jordan Peele picks in his movies is really, really creepy. Like it reminds me of the strings of Bernard Herman, which mm-hmm. for those of you who don't know who Bernard Herman is, he's the guy who does the, uh, the theme music to Psycho. Like just like these really high pitched, like almost squealing, like, you know, but then, but at the same time, it's like, it sounds like, like this weird, like sinister bluegrass, like, <laughs> like country or something. Like I, not country, because country sounds different. But it's like, like banjo just, music. Yeah, like banjo music it, or yeah. something that you'd hear in Deliverance, right? Like, it's it's frightening, and it's such a good way to. It's an excellent way to open the movie. Maybe the scariest part of the entire movie to me. Yeah, I love the the use of music in this film. Plus, you know. They got to use Redbone, and we both love Childish Gambino. <laughs> oh, yeah, but then we get introduced to our main character of the film, a uh, photographer by the name of Chris Washington, who is living... Well, I don't know if he's living with her at this point, but, you know, we also get introduced to his white girlfriend, uh, Rose Armitage. And essentially, the story is very guess who's coming to dinner in that Rose is inviting Chris up to meet her family up in upstate New York. And it's the first time they've been meet, or that Chris meets the family, and very clearly he is uh, he's very apprehensive about it, and he's very uncomfortable about it. Uh, we get told later in the film that Rose and Chris are are they've been dating for about four months at this point, and Chris is twenty six. I don't know. I don't know the rules of dating too much. <laughs> the rules of dating are kind of weird in the in the in these times. But um, I don't know, four months and meeting parents? I don't know. That felt a little off to me, but I don't know. I'm weird. I'm weird well, in that sense. I'd probably argue that that relationships are different depending on who it is, right? Like everything's not for everybody and everyone does things their own way. Uh, to me, I think what's interesting about this scene is you immediately get the conversation where uh, Chris asks Rose, you know, do her parents know that he's black? And she very much says, you know, well, well, I didn't think to bring it up or why should they, or does it matter? And all this kind of stuff. And it just really brings to light, you know, again, 2017, it really brings to light the fact that, um, bless her white liberal heart. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, you know, it's like, I feel like there is, this movie really is about the racism of white liberals. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, It is not as simple as what, you know, like traditionally what you think, right? Like you think of these like ugly, uh, uh, what is it? Grotesque, Grotesque white Southern stereotypes as the only people who are racist, right? Yeah. And then when you think about it, and I think the only reason why I ever like even think about it this way is, okay, when I was in in high school, like I read the autobiography of Malcolm X, right? And one of the reasons why I'm very glad I read that is because as a Californian, my like, my idea of how 
black people were perceived in this country period whether it be in the south or in the north like i don't know right like i just didn't have that kind of i did i wasn't close enough to really even think about it very much we didn't have that that context here on the west coast right and and but reading you know uh, malcolm x's autobiography a lot of the stuff that he experienced was in the north like michael malcolm x is not from the south like he 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 rarely spent any time there most of the time he was in cities like chicago he was in the midwest you know he was in big cities mm-hmm. and um it's it's for some reason we have this like thing where we think and i still see it to this day like on twitter and stuff like that where we think that racism only exists in one pocket of the world that we live in um and i think this movie is really good at kind of pointing out microaggressions right because now that we've all gotten a bit more sophisticated in our thinking and i'm talking about us who are not black uh like i feel like we're all like our our thinking is getting at least a, well, at least those who care to really to think about it like our thinking is getting a little bit more sophisticated we're aware of the things that aren't that are said without having to be said and we realize that you know racism is a whole lot more subtle than a sociology class or a history class that we were taking when we were growing up would have told us, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that is good that this movie is exposing that, you know, like this movie is really just exposing like how racist white liberals can be. And I think we talked. I don't remember which movie we did, but we talked about the fact that we have you know friends who are black, and we've even had people in our family who are black, right? And the people in our family who are black, like, we know that, like, we've had, like, occasions with them at family parties and stuff like that. Much like the situations in this, where it's, like, everyone, not that everyone isn't cool, but everyone's kind of like, yeah, we're all cool here, right? And it's just, like, for some reason, for some reason, like, relating to black people is something that that causes people to act in like the cringiest ways imaginable right and it's so (laughs) fucking condescending (laughs) like it like you know i've never had that experience i can't say i've had that experience where i had someone like really try to try super hard to like make it seem like they were really cool with me in fact i'm for all i know i have been that person in the past but it's like it's one of those things where i can imagine it feels super condescending because it's like what i did experience is as a young person getting an, an a boomer trying to trying to relate to me and talk to me on my level like as equals it always felt super like condescending and it always felt like it was like a loaded scenario where it was just like the power dynamic is is always going to be evident no matter what. I I definitely can admit that I've had lots of situations at work because I work in a corporate environment. Like I've had lots of situations where people I work with are like Rose's dad in that people, (laughs) they may not be like intentionally malicious, but you know that there's like just the way that they say things a little bit or the way that they just try to relate to you a little too much, you're just like, all right, buddy, I'm gonna need you to, <laughs> I'm gonna need you to kind of tone it down a little bit. <laughs> this makes me super not trust you even harder than I <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and, oh my god. And so, um, anyway, uh, yeah, moving once... forward with the story. So, like, move well, on their way up to uh, Rose's family's house. 
we get the scene where they end up crashing into the deer, right? The deer ends up running across the road. Uh, they're driving in, uh, they're driving in, I think it's Rose's car. She ends up clipping the deer as it like, apparently deer can fly across the goddamn highway because <laughs> that deer got some airtime. But it gets taken out and runs and essentially dies in the brush. Uh, and, you know, while Chris goes and uh, tries to get a picture of it, or not like a picture, but goes check on it, I mean. Uh, I do remember him having his camera with him, though. Um, and in in that time, Rose is calling the police for them to come over, take a report. And then we get that very, like, weird interaction, right, where we get, um, where we get the police officer asking to see Chris's ID even and he you know he's not driving he's you know he wasn't the one driving so because of that rose takes like offense for him and ends up getting very like aggressive with the cop and really trying to stand up for him and and it's a really interesting scene for me because i've like seen this uncomfortable i would say like i've seen this play out before in real life where the black person, the person of color, already knows the deal, and it's like they've already, they've already accepted kind of how things are, and then of course the the white ally tries to be, you know, com- they could be coming from a genuine place, trying to be coming from a good place, not knowing that their interaction could totally be making this like situation way worse than it needs to be. Right. And I think the thing is that looking at it back now from a more modern perspective, how many countless videos have we seen of, you know, of white citizens or white women trying to over-police black men or black women by, you know, trying to get them in trouble for every little thing that they're doing. Black people just basically like, you know, it's, it's, they have a much different relationship with police than most of the rest of us right like i mean i've definitely had some bizarre like encounters with police i've definitely had been threatened by police officers for you know no reason and understood that you know i've been treated a little different but again we'll talk about it over and over and over again we do not have the experience of black people in this but we at least have lived in a world where we know what's happening enough to where this is the scene. This is the, the, the scene like in Rosemary's baby or like in, uh, in uh, the Stepford wives where we find out that the partner of the main character that we are following <laughs> is at least, is at least inherent is at least in some way evil or is somehow going to turn on them. And I think that's something that you get a lot more now than maybe even when the movie came out. Right. Like one of the things that I've like seen, like when we talked about Rosemary's baby, we talked about the perspective that guy like gaslights Rosemary so much that we understand that he's a bit more of a villainous character right away because of the fact that he's that he Rosemary's not, not aware of what he's doing. Um, and he's not aware of what he's doing, but, but the fact is as an audience, we're watching what guy is doing and we know that what he's doing is dangerous or, or harmful to our main character. And I think that's what we get when we see Rose kind of standing up to the police officer, like we are watching her knowingly or unknowingly 
put our main character who we're following in danger. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, when you the thing is, when you initially watched this movie back in 2017, you can watch it in a way where you know, like Rose, and, and like I think this speaks more to like the character of Rose and kind of what she comes to do later on in the film. But like she's one of those characters that's meant to disarm you. Everything about her seems like it's supposed to be good, like on the surface, right? And but the problem is it's a little bit too good. Like it was one thing to like, you know, she has the line where she's like, Oh, I you know, I had to stand up, I had to stand up for my man. And Chris was like, yeah, that's cool. You know, like I felt like cared for and whatnot. But it's one of those things where it's like, she also didn't need to be as aggressive and like combative with the cop. But because she comes from like, well, you know, at this point, us as the audience can make the assumption is that because she comes from a sheltered world where she never had to really experience repercussions for how you kind of interact with cops, (laughs) she didn't have that context, right? So like, I can see how someone's watching this in 2017 and you're expected to believe that she can be a good, quote unquote, good character. But meanwhile, everyone else who is either of the culture or someone that is of color would be like, I still don't trust this bitch. Hell no. (laughs) Ain't no way. But yeah, moving forward, they end up getting to the Armitage's house. They explain, you know, everything that happened and they, we get to know uh, Rose's parents. So there's Dean who is a successful neurosurgeon and then Missy, who was a psychotherapist. And what we learn is that they have you know they they the the home the home has been owned for generations they also have a local help that is walter and georgina who just happen to be black um so they're you know and i think even uh dean makes a mention of it he goes i know what it looks like um you know a white family and we got black servants he goes but trust me i would never uh, you know, I wouldn't, you know, they've been with our family. They're pretty much family with us. You go, and then we get that cringy line that comes up again. I would have voted for Obama third term if I could. <laughs> you know what? I think what makes Chris such a really awesome, relatable character is, look, he is well aware of the fact that all, you know, a good chunk of what he's hearing is bullshit, right? But it's the way he just kind of like, you know like obviously it bothers him like there's no way it's not going to but at least he kind of like he he you know the the actor is in the care is able to portray the character like in such a it's funny like it it is funny when when like yeah i would vote for obama for a third term if i could (laughs) gets really quiet and he goes he goes best president of my lifetime and he just goes i agree (laughs) <laughs> like this is like sad like a satisfying like exhale i agree <laughs> he's just he's really good at one of uh, playing this character that's just really tired of white people's bullshit <laughs> like he knows he knows the deal like he yeah. knows that they're gonna be really weird around him that they're gonna act you know, in a way that they don't act around other people, that they're going to try to over-relate to him. And, you know, Rose's dad even does that when when they're talking to them in the living room and he goes, how long has this this thing been going on? I was like, oh my fucking God. I was just like, oh no. 
but it's like it needs to be that uncomfortable it needs to be that cringy because this movie is essentially a mirror you know to a white audience or just a non-black audience like it is pointing a mirror at you and saying you know what this is what you sound like when you say some out-of-pocket shit to somebody (laughs) so be very well aware of how you're trying to relate to others (laughs) And be ready for it to be called out for, or be ready to be called out for all your cringe bullshit. <laughs> uh, so we find out that Missy, being a psychotherapist or a hypnotherapist, one of the things that she's really good at is being able to change folks' behavior. And Dean tells us a story how he was a smoker for 15 years and then he met Missy. And Missy you know, hypnotizing her actually was able to cure him of his uh, addiction to tobacco. Uh, she offers to do the same for Chris, who uh, he, yeah, they, so they alluded to it earlier that he forgot his cigarettes or when he tried to smoke in the car, um, I think Rose ends up taking the cigarette from him and throws, throws it away. So, you know, they show that that's kind of like his coping mechanism. She doesn't, and and they offer to kind of uh, help him with that to which he says he doesn't really feel comfortable with people trying to get in his head I think Rose even alludes to the, the same thing um, but later that night stu- we get- I'm kind of a stupid viewer too because I swear like this is really the first time and I've seen this movie several times but this is the first time that I've seen this movie and I was actually like oh yeah that's right the smoking it's the reason it's it's their in to hypnotizing him right like Mm -hmm. it's the it's the oh guy's an actor all right well we can we can you know give guy all the parts he wants if he just sells his child to satan right like (laughs) it is it's the opening that all these sinister family characters around need to be able to kind of pull this character into it's the scene where they're drawing uh, our main character from Stepford Wives, yeah. right? Like, like uh-huh. there is awesome that we're watching this movie after we've seen those two other movies, which again, Jordan Peele has stated that Rosemary's Baby and the Stepford Wives were, you know, they were very big like uh, influences on the work that he did because it gives, I feel like to me, it gives me a much more full experience of this movie that I've never had before because you're getting that context of where this movie came from and like what led to it but yeah like you said it's really interesting to to put piece that together that now we have that we have that added layer of that's there in trying to get him to quit smoking the elevation it's the fact that we're now seeing all the little bit parts under the main story like we're seeing all the little traps that are being set before they're even set and so later that night, we see that Chris kind of needing some fresh air ends up stepping out for a cigarette. Um, and he encounters Walter, who runs at him at full speed. Like, almost. oh, my God, <laughs> this was the biggest meme for years and years and years. The get like, out uh, challenge where you try to run at yeah, someone super hard. This was such a big deal when it came out. And just this movie itself. Right. Like, I mean. This movie has it's 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 part of the zeitgeist. It's come in the iconography now. You know, we all know what you mean when you say somebody's in the sunken place. Mm. We all know, you know, what the the running challenge is, the photographs, like all the stuff in this has reached such a quick level of iconography already. Mm. The sunken place for sure. Like 
it's actually really interesting how that's kind of become like a universally understood term now um but yeah so we get the scene where uh walter runs at uh runs at chris full speed and chris also sees some very strange uh behavior from georgina um let's be clear i think the things that we haven't really pointed out as well is we've already talked about how rose's parents have been weird but everyone in this family is weird everyone is a hundred rose's brother like it's just the way he talks about chris and like what his physical ability is his is the most overtly racist because clearly chris is not an athlete <laughs> chris oh chris is says, a photographer <laughs> yeah, chris is a photographer chris is like he could very easily be a nerd like there's nothing there is nothing particularly like physically like obvious that he is some sort of athlete other than the fact that he's a black person so it's like your first the, for for some this character's like first instinct is that oh yeah well you're black so you you've got this genetic i don't know what he says genetic superiority or no it's your genetic your makeup genetic, yeah he says like, your superior genetic makeup it's literally the phrenology conversation from django and chain right like this character this uh rose's brother feels very not very different from leo dicaprio's character in django where he like wants to use black slaves in like hand-to-hand combat fights like that is mm-hmm. and it's like you start talking about like oh kickboxing and like mixed martial arts and stuff like that and it's and then all of a sudden like almost wants to play fight with him it is fucking creepy and it's pretty frightening like this is the scene where you are just very like worried for chris <laughs> because yeah, it's like uh, these... that's when you're just like get the fuck out of here like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so after his experiences seeing georgina like stare at herself in the mirror and look almost in like awe of herself um he ends up going back inside where he uh com- well doesn't confront her but he, st- he speaks to missy who finally kind of badgers him into taking a hypnotherapy session and it's like it's really interesting how she does it because he's like you know he's doesn't believe in it he's a complete skeptic and before he knows it he doesn't you know us as the audience members as well as chris we don't realize that she's already started the hypnotism when they've already started talking like we don't realize that she's already moving the uh moving the what's it called the spoon within her teacup creating that noise that we're already like focusing on without actually thinking about it (laughs) so next thing when we know you know she when she starts getting him to like admit to his childhood trauma you know she starts really deep diving into his life getting uh chris to talk about her or i'm sorry his mother's death when he was a child um and how his mom was the victim of a hit and run accident she he she also gets him to admit that Chris didn't go looking for his mother after knowing about the accident for fear of kind of like making the the uh like the worst case scenario of reality it's something that you know at at the time I think Chris says he was like 12 like 12 11 12 years old when it happened so he 
he didn't want to go you know make his trauma even worse like it was just his body it was his his psychological defense mechanism at that point so it's like she brings out all this trauma and all this fear and essentially turns him into a little boy again and this is our first uh experience with the sunken place where she tells him that you know to sink into his chair after he realizes he can't move and then we get the beautiful image of like the visualization of what the sunken place looks and feels like as she tells chris to sink and we get that shot of chris like falling into this a void into this abyss while there's like a window where he can still see what his body sees but it's like he gets as he gets further and further the vision becomes cloudier and eventually like you know gets lost in the darkness now I this is this is fantastic. the yeah this is the devil rape scene from Rosemary's mm-hmm. Baby. It's the scene where it's not exactly in full consciousness. You're kind of going in and out. You're starting to see all these bizarre visuals. You're able to hear sounds that aren't directly out there, but it's something like where you're because of the state of consciousness that you're in, it's like in your head as you're in this place and it's good. It is, you know, it is awesome the vision the 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 visuals are really good and again it's it's a really great scene and also again the teacup is is iconic as well and i was like listening to a podcast or a youtube channel i can't even remember which what what it is now but where you know they were talking about the symbolism of tea right like there's there's something oppressive about tea in general already like tea is one of those things that you know boston tea party like you know it was a good that was harvested shipped and uh you know and distributed to other people like in much like crops and like all sorts of stuff that you know you would use slaves for like there is something about just the tea itself before you're even thinking about spoon moving in the teacup that it's they 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 may not be quote unquote racists or at least in their own eyes racists on the outside but they are surrounded by all these oppressive symbols right like the the black the black servants that are around them where they talk about, well, I'm not really comfortable with it. They say they're not comfortable with it, but here they are benefiting from the system, you know, which you could say maybe benefiting from a system of white supremacy, right? Like that is, it's a thing where it's like, because I'm not being personally hurt by it, why would I change the way things are? Mm-hmm. And that's essentially that what mean, that is. And, that and it's mean just, they have to give up their privilege. And right. it's like, and, no, that's, and that's what I, and that's what I like about all of this stuff is just there is so much symbolism in this that I've never seen before and that I'm actually getting this on this watch. Mm-hmm. So after the sunken place experience, uh, the next morning, uh, Chris kind of chalks up the entire uh, the entire experience is just kind of being a dream. And he doesn't really, you know, try to pay too much attention to it but what he does realize later on in the film is that the hypnosis did work he doesn't have the same cravings or the need for tobacco that he did before so it's during this time 
again he has more weird interactions with uh walter and georgina like georgina continues to like unplug his phone trying to like drain the battery like inadvertently draining the battery just adding more to the isolation that chris kind of feels since he you know that phone at this point in the film is just kind of his lifeline it's his connection to anyone outside of the armitage household much like the again much like rosemary's baby much like the stepford wives one of the things that makes this movie inherently frightened and why and frightening and why we are concerned for our main character is because they've been separated from all the things that they know. Like, you know, they're isolated from people. It's, it's abusive in a way, you know, because part of what we do to get you is separate you from all the people that you care about. And yeah, I, all the scenes, which are just some of the funniest scenes in the movie like all the scenes of him talking uh, to, is it, is it Rod? Yeah, it's Chris talking to Rod, right? Um, like all of yeah, the scenes that he fun, has, yeah. it's all it, it's it's reminiscent of the scene of Rosemary, you know, talking to, you know, her friends in like the one scene where she feels like someone is able to listen to her and not gaslight her, mm-hmm. and, or the or you know, uh, gosh, what is our main character from uh, Stepford Wives? I can't even remember now. But uh, uh, the main character and uh, Bobby, the neighbor girl, like it's 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 the one character that you can relate to on a level that no one else understands. You know, Rosemary relates to her friends because they're all women, you know, um, are fuck. I really got to remember. But our character from the Stepford Wives, I, I'm just going to keep saying that and, <laughs> and like frustrate someone who's listening to this podcast. Like, how you don't do your research? But <laughs> there's someone that's just shouting at us once. This- <laughs> Be like, you just <laughs> fucking reviewed the movie. Uh, Joanna. There we go. That's Joanna. Our- <laughs> that's but- stupid. But yeah, Joanna and like, you know, and, and her friend, because they're women, the women, they can relate. And of course, like Chris and Rod are both black, so they can relate. Oh, by the way, not kind of a tangent. So now I remember what movie we watched that Laurel was was in that I don't know if you remember when I when I text you, I'm like, what else have we reviewed that Laurel was in that we loved him in? And I remember now he was in um, Bird Box. Oh, okay. Yes, that's yep. right. Yeah, he was the guy that it sucked because he died in that movie, but he was the only likable character <laughs> when they go in the supermarket. Yeah. Anyway. Um, and um well, the, the other thing that's apparently happening this weekend, which surprise surprise, but it's not really a surprise. <laughs> um there is some sort of get together that Rose's family is having, which is some sort of what is it like a barbecue in her grandfather's honor that they do every year supposedly? Yeah, so the idea was <laughs> that it was a bar it was a party that the grandfather used to do every year. And then it was a tradition that Dean kept going, kept on going, and it takes place every year on the same day. Um, you know, we get we it, and so pretty much now they're they're roped in, they're hooked in on the dealing with this. So uh, prepare for another bunch of scenes where Chris has to deal and awkwardly deal with very uncomfortable interactions with very rich and out of touch people. <laughs> <laughs> And it's so bizarre, man. Like, it's like as he's talking to him, like he talks to the golfer guy 
And of course, the guy has to bring up that he knows Tiger Woods. And then he asks, <laughs> you know, what is, uh, you know, what's, if, he, he asks if uh, Chris had ever played golf before. <laughs> mm-hmm. We get this super weird interaction where the one, that one woman asks Chris if, like, the stereotype of black men having large penises is true. It's How just fucking like- inappropriate. <laughs> it's so fucking inappropriate. And then the worst part about it watching it is you know that there are people like this in real life. And we- you know that that, you know, probably friends that we have have, like, probably experience something like this but are but would be way too embarrassed to even talk about could you imagine that is gross like that is that is sexual harassment (laughs) i don't know why it's not as it's not necessarily the same on the same level but i remember when it was for my birthday when we went to when we all went to a bar uh out here you know uh, well, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to put the bar on blast or anything. <laughs> but this was a couple years ago. But I remember I've ran into one of our cousins there who was just randomly there, like he was mm-hmm. just there to be there. <laughs> and then he was drinking with somebody who was clearly very intoxicated. <laughs> and then my and then my cousin was like, he calls us or he calls me over and he goes, "Hey, let me buy you a shot." I'm like, "Okay, no problem." So I take the shot with him. And then he introduced me to the lady that was with him. And he's like, this is my cousin. She goes, of course, that's your cousin. All you Mexicans are related to each other. And I was just like, oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, shit. Drunk off racism, are you? (laughs) Nice. (laughs) And it was funny. I'm like, that's weird because we're Salvadorian. So. yeah but she was so drunk she didn't give a shit but you know like i experienced that and i was just like i understood what chris felt like in that moment yeah and so we go from the fact that it's it's an awkward scene and i don't know if this happens before what will occur next but let's talk about this now uh when we talk about the stepford wives there was the scene uh, where you know we have the men's association barbecue, right? Which is the poolside like party where all the kids are, are playing and all the wives are there and the husbands are there. And you have one of the wives who, you know, the wife of the husband who's hosting the party. Uh, she starts kind of repeating her words, right? And that's like the moment where you start figuring out that that something is off, right? Where you start mm-hmm. to get your first thought that, you know, this person is probably a robot. <laughs> and that is exactly the scene that you're going to get here with, uh, you know, the scene of Chris meeting... Andre. Yeah, who, Chris meeting Andre, who is who has a completely different name here, Logan King. Mm-hmm. is the is is who he meets and he like you know puts his fist out to him really expecting the guy to you know pound his fist right mm-hmm. and instead what he does is like grabs his <laughs> fist with his hand so you can obviously tell because okay i definitely at least experience this if we meet people of hispanic heritage in other places we there's un there there's unwritten like social cues, right? Like it's not written anywhere, but it's like, we all have social cues that we understand, mm-hmm. right? You know, like like a fist bump or like, you know, or dap, a, or... a phrase or just like a phrase or something, right? Yeah. Where it's like, if you're, so, if you're with someone else, if your nationality, your race, whatever, like you are able to relate to them. 
And that's what Chris is expecting to, but he's noticing very quickly that all the black people that he's seen here are weird. Mm-hmm. And much like the Stepford Wives, what they're doing in Stepford Wives, they are taking modern women, killing them, and turning them into docile housewives. Well, mm-hmm. what they're doing in this is they're essentially taking black people and they're not exactly even turning them into slaves. Like, you know, they are servants because at least the servants in, in Rose's house are just so that people don't get suspicious as to why these black people are here. But it's like, but it's no less different than what we saw in Stepford Wives. You're taking, uh, you know, people who are human beings and you're essentially stripping them of what makes them human and turning them into what you want. Like, you know, just creatures that are there to serve you. For and, that's what the ro- and that's what the robots in the Stepford Wives are, right? So you get the scene where, where Chris tries to get a picture of this guy because he recognizes him. And the moment he does, the flash goes off and uh, Logan starts to get one tear of his eye out of his eye. And that's where he like snaps into Andre for a second. And Andre like shakes him and starts yelling at him to get out, which is frightening. <laughs> and much like something out of Rosemary's Baby, like all these other people around there, like it's just, they're all huddled everywhere. It's claustrophobic. They all grab this guy and, and, and you know, move him into a different room or something. Oh yeah, so that's the oh god, it's so it's weird. It oh, feels like- and you want to know something else too, like another direct, uh, another the most direct reference to Rosemary's Baby. You want to know what uh, Rose's father's name is? Is it Dean? No, it's Roman, much uh, like Roman Castavet from Rosemary's Baby. And of course, oh, Rose is Rose. You know, yeah, the character of Rose Armitage like is not very different from Rose Mary. And then, uh, yeah, her father's name is Roman, much like Roman Castavet from. I, <laughs> from I that, so. love like that scene. Felt like almost a shot-for-shot shot redo. <laughs> it felt like it was almost it was an exact or not exact, but it was a remake of the scene from Stepford Wives and I was just like this scene is so much better like it was just so well done I thought the man what was his name again Lakeith Stanfield I thought he did fantastic like in such a short amount of time like he didn't really need to say much but it was just like he the way he emoted it just conveyed utter fear and I was just like, oh my god, that's pretty much the scene that really elevated this film for me to a whole nother level. Yeah, and again, I don't, re- I don't recall if it's before or after, but at some point during this party, then we get the scene where they're essentially, it looks like a bingo game, but you know oh, that they, but but you know that it's essentially like a silent slave auction that is being mm-hmm. conducted right in front of Chris. So Chris ends up meeting his. I guess I'm not a mentor, but someone he does look up to. Uh, but I forgot what the what was the dude's name. It was a um, the art dealer. Do you remember his name? I can't. I can't remember. Was it Jim Hudson? There we go. Played by Stephen Root. So Jim Hudson is a blind art dealer <laughs> who used to be uh, an artist until he lost his sight. And then he actually even mentions to Chris that Chris has an eye for capturing uh, 
uh, photographs in that he's able to capture like this melancholy and this melancholic energy within the pictures. And he wanted to, he, he always wanted to have that eye back and that's what he felt. So Chris feeling a little bit better about himself being, uh, you know, getting this high praise from someone that he knows is very respected in, in the art scene. Like it does give him a little bit of kind of a respite with everything he's going through, especially since Jim Hudson out of everybody up until now, Jim Hudson has probably been the most genuine guy, you know, like he, in the sense that he calls out everyone else's bullshit and he doesn't, he's not trying to relate to Chris on this weird level, but there is still something you don't trust about Jim completely uh during this part is when uh when rose and chris end up taking a walk and this is where chris actually um he admits to rose that he didn't go and try to help his mom and he found out later that she had actually survived the initial strike or the initial impact from her hit and run me and he feels responsible for her death knowing that if he had only gone and looked for her he could have saved her uh rose ends up um you know consoling him making him feel better and she promises that later that night they'll make up an excuse and they can leave and they'll go back to the city meanwhile we very clearly know like i love how jordan peele directs this thing because even though it's there's enough for you to question it but if you know you know right you know like you said you know this is a slave auction (laughs) you know these people are bidding on chris for what end as an audience watching the film we're not a hundred percent sure yet but oh boy do we find out (laughs) so later that night we get uh we get this scene where as they're packing their stuff chris ends up going to a crawl space and he finds pictures of uh, Rose from a younger age. But then he ends up finding pictures of Rose with other uh, black people showing kind of showing her like, I guess, uh, pictures in a relationship with them uh, with different couples. And as he goes through them and goes through them, he's finally gets to a couple pictures where it shows that he was, that Rose was actually with Walter and Georgina uh, which kind of breaks the, or it, it, it breaks the story that everyone had agreed on that, that Chris was Rose's first black boyfriend. Uh, so at this point, he doesn't know if he can trust Rose, but as they go downstairs, they start trying to, they, they, you know, he, he tries to get Rose to get the car keys and we get the, the interaction, the really scary interactions between, uh, between Chris and uh, the Armitages. Because by this point in the film, the mask has completely fallen off. We know that they have something nefarious in mind for Chris. And uh, they, at this point, they're no longer treating him like a guest. They are treating him like their prey. It's um, really the scene. It's, it's really like by the time that Rosemary has pretty much decided that she's done with the cast of Vets, doesn't want anything to do with her neighbors, is doing whatever she can to avoid them is like sneaking away to go see another doctor, right? Like it's the scene where the character has now become so isolated. But in between that, you do get the scene where where once you've had the interaction with Andre, he actually reaches out to Rod and he like sends him a picture of this guy, like essentially saying like, 
<laughs> the scenes are so funny. Like the scene where he goes, uh, you know, uh, I got hypnotized last night. And then his answer is like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and, and like all the things that he talks about, like where his TSA, like, you know, senses start tingling. And he like, right. like you're going to be in, you're going to be in for some eyes wide shut shit. Where like, they're all basically going to use black people as sex slaves, which, you know, there's a, there's a point in the movie where you honestly don't know. Right. Like they are because, because even though they may not be using them for sex, they are, they are, they are very much fetishizing the black form or the black bodies of oh, these that characters. one lady would have used Chris for sex. That's yeah. <laughs> well, that lady was clearly using Logan for sex, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> um, but the, you know, you get he sends Rod the picture of Andre, and Rod like tells him, you know, where they're from and you know where that is. Like, who is that? You know, yeah, this is the guy who went missing. You know, that's Andre Hayworth, and then you know <laughs> he goes. Oh shit! Sex slave, sex cult. That's right. He just starts yelling, "Sex slave!" I knew it. Sex slave. <laughs> yeah. um, and so it's like, yeah, it's like that. That that that's like the in between stuff between you know with them getting all like uh, in danger, and, and that's essentially the all of them witches scene for this movie. Uh, mm-hmm. And as you said, like once you find out that they're absolutely sinister, much like the you know the character of Joanne's husband and uh, Guy Rosemary's husband. Like, that's when you get, you know, you find out that Rose is, in fact, you know, part of the evil cabal of characters that are trying to capture this guy. But By the way, the actress that plays Rose, Allison Williams, fucking great at playing a crazy psycho bitch. <laughs> yeah, like, I never, I never watched, uh, outside of a few episodes, I never watched, I only watched the first season of Girls. And apparently, like, that's what, that was what she was most known for before this movie came out. Really? Yeah. Well, she did a fantastic job because it's like the way, even for her, the entire time she's freaking out, trying to get the car keys. And same thing, like the mass drops the moment where she's like, you were never going to get these car keys. And just like everything, like the, 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 the frantic, like fear is just completely gone. And it's like the, the switch flips and she's like, I'm a, I'm the villain now. Surprise, yeah. motherfucker. The only, the difference between this and the other two movies that we've talked about as the inspiration for this is that the characters don't, at least Rose. Rose doesn't gaslight Chris. She's just like straight. She she goes. She's straight up. <laughs> you know. Well, I guess she does gaslight him a little bit. But she. But once she becomes evil, she becomes evil. Whereas like the male characters in these other movies, like they kind of pretend to be aloof, and that almost makes them even more sinister. <laughs> I guess in some ways. But yeah, it's like these characters. Like some of these horror movies, man. You can't. You can't trust these uh life partners in these <laughs> no what did you call them the gaslight committee <laughs> yeah rose rose and her well rose joins the gaslight committee with you know <laughs> with guy and uh, walter yeah oh man so at this point uh missy is triggers the uh catatonic state within chris by um using again her uh what's it called her teacup in the in the spoon causing him to kind of fall unconscious uh what was the brother's name dean and jeremy they end up grabbing chris so that they can uh take him down to prep him for something at this point the audience doesn't know what but the the shot ends with rose saying that uh that chris was one of her favorite boyfriends 
And then here is, like you were saying, this is where uh, Ron actually instead is not just comedic relief, right? Like he starts piecing stuff together and starts figuring things out where, you know, he calls Chris for the next couple of days and just gets voicemails um, and is unable to talk to him. In the meantime, he's still taking care of Chris's dog and he's you know slowly kind of like thinking about things with uh andre and he's starting to put things together um so he ends up going to the police to try to file like a missing persons report of course he gets laughed out of the building because he goes all in on his crazy conspiracy theories which aren't so crazy <laughs> however he finally ends up getting a getting in contact with uh with rose rose ends up picking up chris's phone and they have this like battle of wills (laughs) they have like this like game of wits over the phone where rose doesn't want to give any information of but ron knows she knows something and she makes up the story that chris ended up leaving uh and that she'd let he'd left two days ago and that you know he just grabbed a cab and left and then the the and then at this point, Ron asks her, hey, where's, you know, what's the cab company he took? To which Rose responds, oh, I don't remember. This is so weird. And then uh, Ron says, okay, hold on. Let me put you on hold. And we get that, we get that part that made, I remember the movie theater I watched it in. It got us all cracking up when he goes, I know this bitch is lying. Look at her. She's fucking lying. And he goes, I'm going to get this bitch. <laughs> But, like, you know, the eerie part, the creepy part is the entire time that Rose is talking to Ron, she does, like, her face has no emotion to it. It has no break. It doesn't move. She's just completely stone-faced while still emoting with her voice. Oh, my God, that was creepy as hell, dude. Well, yeah, because, I mean, I think think we've seen it in all these viral videos in these last few years when... White women are getting black people into trouble or, you know, trying to get them into trouble. Like it, it, they are very cold, detached, not unaware. They are very aware of how the things that they are lying to police about that they've experienced are going to be perceived. They are going to get the benefit of the doubt over black people. And it's like th- this is almost like a visual representation of that kind of apathy. Oh my God! It was you know, and so after that, Ron, um, Ron ends up trying. He tries to get more information from Rose, and tries to record their conversation. However, Rose makes him very uncomfortable and angry by starting to you know accusing Ron of uh, calling him because or calling her because he secretly wants to have sex with her and that uh, that she's always want or he's always wanted her, causing ron to freak out he just knows at this point he just has to go get his friend so he gets in his car and starts driving towards upstate new york and then we get shown that chris has been kept held captive in what looks like a den uh he's been tied to this chair and he's been you know being held over while they prepare him for something and it's here where he finds out what that something is. He gets this old-timey television set where they play a video with good old Roman uh, 
Armitage, and he explains this procedure where he essentially the plan is using hypnosis and uh, brain surgery, they're going to put the brains of white people inside of black bodies so that way they can combine the physical attributes of black folks and the drive, and these are the words of, of Roman, not me, and the drive and motivation of white folks so that they can create this being that can, you know, succeed and move forward. And we get the, you know, at this point, Chris realizes that Rose, or, you know, that Rose and is the child in the video, that the brother, that the family has been, they've been doing this for generations and they've been selling essentially they've been selling the bodies of black folks for years and years um and here we get like the return of chris's like nervous tick where he ends up scratching he scratches at the um at the leather at the at the seat right at the armrests in the seat revealing like the 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 cotton in the within the armrest right and i don't think and i think one thing we didn't really talk about too much is the fact that when chris was hypnotized besides the amazing visuals you get an in you get like a window into chris's guilt like you know he feels an immense amount of guilt over the death of his mother uh which he's talked about was a hit and run and you know, he's got some sort of responsibility or he feels some sort of responsibility over what's happened. And it's part of why in that very iconic imagery of Chris, like with a tear coming down his eye, is like, it's essentially like, you know, the part of the hypnosis where besides, you know, doing nefarious things to him, it really does get him to open up about something that he's very long, like <laughs> had, uh, you know, buried uh, deep in his subconscious. And of course, you know, the symbolism of him scratching the chair until the cotton comes out cannot be, you know, it cannot be understated or overstated. <laughs> oh, yeah, not at all. So after that, uh, Chris ends up having a conversation with Hudson, who explains kind of the scenario and that he was, he pretty much won Chris in that, in that uh, auction. And that he, you know, saying that he wants to use his eyes again, um, and he explains a little bit more of the of the uh, what's called the surgery or the procedure as before it takes place. Uh, the uh, the trigger uh, flashes over the TV, which knocks Chris out again, and then Jeremy, I believe, yeah, Jeremy, the brother, he fetches Chris for surgery. But we, what we find out is that Chris has actually used the cotton from the armrest and was able to plug his ears so that way the trigger wouldn't affect him this time. So after faking falling asleep, he gets the jump on uh, Jeremy using a, I think it was like a croquet ball? Like just one of those heavy ceramic balls and just beats his head in. <laughs> Again, head trauma. If you guys listen to the show, you know how much I hate it. But he ends up like hitting Jeremy over the head twice with it, knocking him out cold. You see like a pool of blood starting to come out of his head. And then now that uh oh no, it was Dean, sorry. So Dean uh, expecting Jeremy be, uh, becomes very suspicious. And as he checks the hallway, um Chris grabs a deer head that was on mounted on the wall in the room and uses it to stab. <laughs> he stabs Dean to death with the deer head, 
uh, who ends up knocking over a candle, which starts a fire. At this point, Chris tries to make an escape, and he ends up confronting Missy and ends up killing her with, like, an I think it was a letter opener? Did he get stabbed in the hand during that scene? That looked kind of mm, weird. Yeah, I can't remember if he got stabbed, but yes, it, the letter opener, I believe, was the weapon. Yeah, but he ends up using a letter opener and kills uh, Missy with it. Um, and at this point, after getting rid of the Armitages, our, God, it's so weird to say that name in plural. <laughs> Here we find out that uh, Walter and Georgina are actually Roman and uh, Roman's wife. <laughs> uh, they put in um, put in the or their brains are put in their bodies. So at this point, Rose and her grandparents start the attack on Chris. Chris um, gets in Jeremy's car, tries to escape, ends up running Georgina over on accident. However, again, because of, like you mentioned, the guilt, because of that fear, because of what he, what he endured with the loss of his mother, it makes him go back to get Georgina to put her in the car, him not knowing that she is actually in the sunken place and dealing with one of the Armitages. So as he tries to escape, the uh, Georgina comes to and ends up forcing Chris to crash the car, killing her in the car accident. And he ends up getting uh, shot at by Rose with this giant like bolt action hunting rifle. Of course, because uh, just adding to it, the whole hunting black folks for sports. <laughs> like, I don't know why, just like the imagery just fucking continues in this film. It's so great. So she ends up, uh, Rose ends up sticking Walter on Chris, who ends up chasing him down. Chris, uh, using his cell phone, at, uh, uses the flash to try to get Walter to shake from his hypnosis, just long enough for him to shoot uh, Rose in the stomach with a rifle. Uh, as he convinces her to hand over the rifle, uh, he ends up shooting her and then ends up killing himself. So. Chris, you know, struggles to get back to his feet. He walks over to Rose and to which Rose starts pleading that she still loves him and that he's sorry or that she's sorry for doing this to him. And then uh, Chris starts choking her, but doesn't have the strength or doesn't have the will to finally kill her. And then, of course, in the distance, we get uh, we get sirens. We get the sound of sirens and the police lights. And we and know what this means, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, this could, in your brain, you're like, this could very easily be that racist officer that we saw at the beginning of the movie. As a and, matter of fact, I expected it to be. Yeah, movie. and you're like, you're like, this guy is going to be that guy. Oh my God, he's going to see this guy like killing a white woman. Like, And of course, just... Rose immediately starts begging for help because she yes. knows. That the police are going to believe her, more likely to believe her than Chris. And, okay, so this is not the original intended ending of this. Again, Jordan Peele had a different ending in mind, which we've, which you've kind of alluded to, and we've both mm-hmm. seen. Uh, Jordan Peele's original ending for this was that it was going to be a police officer, Chris was going to be arrested, and the final scene was actually going to be Rod visiting him in jail. Mm-hmm. right and it well, was gonna yeah. be and it was gonna be a lot more of like a grim 
ending, much like the ending of Stepford Wives and Rosemary, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, these characters are brought into a world that, you know, full of sinister people that want to capture them for their own purpose. And eventually these characters end up exactly where you would have expected them from the very first frame of the movie. And it's just mm-hmm. tragic because you got to know them throughout the film and you were hoping that that wasn't what was going to happen. And the just kind of like the nature of oppression it's like no matter what happens it's like that's where it ends up but i guess because trump had won the election because the racial tensions were heightening even more than they had already been at that point i think uh jordan peele had opted to go for the more what i'd say the crowd pleasing ending Mm -hmm. and probably the reason why this movie stands out the one thing i think this like the main thing that this movie has over something like rosemary's baby is it gives you (laughs) it gives you a release and it almost gives you a reward for having stuck by this character this entire movie Mm -hmm. because the when you see the you know the glowing like uh police lights what you actually find out is that it's an airport tsa vehicle (laughs) And uh, Rod is the character that gets out. <laughs> Ron or Chris ends up walking over to the patrol car and gets in, leaving uh, Rose to uh, bleed to death. And as he dri- as they start driving away, Chris asks him, "How'd you know uh, where to come save me, or how'd you know to save me?" To which Ron responds, "T S motherfucking A." Yeah, he goes, "We get it handled." And then right that, but like even before that, you get the scene where it's just like he goes, "You know, I told you not to go in that house." <laughs> <laughs> and it's just yeah, it's like this is it's applause. Give us the ending of it. That is Get Out. It's mm-hmm. as we've talked about. It's maybe one of the best horror movies of the last decade. I would put it again with The Exorcist, with Rosemary's Baby, with something like Hereditary, The Witch. Like it is one of it's an elevated horror movie. It takes the conventions of horror films and uses it to tell a story that that like what a quote unquote Oscar bait movie would do, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's just it, it's it gives us another level and of course we all know that jordan peele does win the academy award for best screenplay for this <clears throat> so it's an it is an oscar winning horror movie <laughs> much like william peter blatty with the exorcist this is uh you know the writer the writer of this film ends up winning the oscar so uh that's one of the things i do want to or i did want to mention real quick is that one what the grim quote-unquote grim and gritty ending did have which i kind of wish that was more brought to light in this film um was that redeeming moment for chris because like i mentioned earlier the whole reason he saved georgina was in a way trying to make up for his mistake not saving his mom and that gets highlighted a little bit more in the grim and gritty ending uh because chris says something he says a line something to the effect of like, you know, I, I I made up for what I did or something about him kind of uh, redeeming himself in his own eyes and saving his own soul in that in that uh, in that process. Uh, they didn't have that scene. And it's like now that I saw the original ending, I'm like, shit, that would have been really cool to include in the in the, in the theatrical ending. But honestly, I'm not complaining too much of it. I feel that the movie top to bottom is pretty fantastic. It's one of those movies that it yes we've seen so much of this movie in such different in in different places like but 
it does it in a way where it's like it's new it's refreshing it's telling it's giving us some great satire and social commentary like it's just a fantastic horror movie uh i love the vibe of it like the vibe of the story very much and i know angel appreciates it seeing as how much of a twilight zone fan he is this movie feels like a two-hour twilight zone episode and it's it really does actually fantastic <laughs> like it just goes to show you how like it everything from the twist to the reveal like the pacing is just fantastic in this film and i think jordan peele is very talented and you know he came out swinging with that first film like his first actual der- his directorial debut pretty much yep so we uh i guess you know Javi, do you like Get Out? <laughs> yes, I'd like Get Out. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> yeah, I definitely I definitely love this movie. It's really good. I'm glad, again, as I've said earlier, I'm so glad that we got to review this movie after we reviewed the other two movies that it was quote-unquote inspired by. <clears throat> it just allowed me to appreciate this movie at an even higher level than I already had before. We've already seen us... We already have two years removal from uh, his second movie as well. And even though Us has really good things in it, and I still think it's a really strong movie, Get Out is, at least until he comes up with something else that's just this perfect, it's going to be like his best film of all time, right? Like it's, it's, you know, it's really great. Again, as I said, it captured the moment, much like a movie like Rosemary's Baby, like it captured Rosemary's Baby captured the <clears throat> the '60s women's liberation movement. This movie captures the moment that we're all essentially still living in, right? With mm-hmm. the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, with just all the different you know things that we're dealing with in terms of racial inequality and uh, you know microaggressions in the workplace, like just. And just all sorts of stuff like everything this movie just does such a fantastic job at capturing the moment that we're all living in now and i think 20 years 30 years from now if other people are watching this movie much like rosemary's baby it gives them an exact picture of the it's a movie of the time that it came out so oh my god yes. final thought sorry final thought <laughs> one of the things that's pretty crazy about this film and that i don't know if um if if uh like jordan peele had this in mind but when he was talking about the when he when he was making this film but you're familiar with the concept of the less dead right no no all right so the less dead or the kind of like the name is the name of the population given to serial killers um victims who are usually people that are easily easy to forget because they're usually sex workers people of color uh, people that kind of live on the outskirts of society so honestly they're not going to be missed and it was like it was one of those things watching this film especially the the, the picture scene like that was something I, I wanted to mention like we get to see what the less dead look like which unfortunately in this case are young black folks and it's folks that like that get picked because they are they unfortunately they they're picked because no one's going to miss them and it like really after after watching that film and especially watching it with the context of now how the say her name movement whether it was for 
uh, Brianna Taylor or for Sandra Bland way back in what 2016, if I remember correctly. Like it just highlights the importance of though of those like community movements to like to like uh bring attention to these this stuff that folks are going through you know it's just like there's so many layers to this film and it's like even though we're only three years removed it's like man this still hits like this still hits certain points you know like this still hits certain parts and it's just like i can't wait to see like when this movie gets dissected in film classes in like 15 20 years Anyway, sorry. I just need to get that <laughs> thought in there before before we ended the show. So we'd like to thank you guys for joining us for this episode. <clears throat> uh, we're glad that you guys are continuing to follow us uh, on the show. And uh, this is it. This is the last horror film that we're doing for a while. And Forever. really, <laughs> <laughs> well, for the next for the next about month and a half, we're actually going to do an entire movie series again. Uh, we're gonna Get your be geese on nerds. <laughs> we're gonna be doing all the movies in the Karate Kid franchise, uh, starting with the original Karate Kid movie, uh, the original trilogy. We're gonna review the Hillary Swank starring uh, the next Karate Kid. Mm. Uh, we are going to review the 2010 Jaden Smith starring Karate Kid reboot that n- never did, and at this point never will get a sequel. And also known as the Kung Fu Kid. <laughs> yeah, and we're going to be doing uh, <clears throat> an episode or two on uh, the Cobra Kai series that Javi and I have been following, you know, since season one. So we're very mm. excited to move into that. So for the next month and a half, almost two months, this will be Do We Like the Karate Kid? And uh, you'll be surprised which movies we like and which movies in the series we may not like. We'll see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I know uh, we're actually we don't even know the answer to that. So this is gonna be a fun series. <laughs> yeah. So we'll talk to you guys next time. Later, y'all.